The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Amen. Morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Y'all ready to roll? All right. All right. Luke 19. Let's go right back where we were last night. So we got, we're going to have a short session, take a break, do some rec sign-ups. Then we'll have a second session. So last night's kind of like part one. This will be part two. And then um, Rob will come out and do part three, and then we'll head to lunch. So how many people got their driver's license so far? That's a bunch of y'all. How many of y'all got your learner's permit? Oh, Lord Jesus. Help us. Man, when I had my uh, learner's permit, I remember my dad would get so aggravated. <coughs> he, had a, he had a really cool old truck. It was an old truck, like a 1972 Chevy. And, and I would... I'll be driving that thing, and I'll be so scared I was going to cross the line and hit somebody head on, so I was driving too close to the other side. Mountain roads are narrow anyway. And, uh, but I got a brother. He's a, um, he teaches driver's ed, and I was like, dude, what is like your day-to-day pucker factor? Y'all know what pucker factor is? We won't define that. Um, I was like, what's your day-to-day pucker factor? He's like, bro, there's some days – where I come home and I'm just exhausted. And all I did was ride around with a 15-year-old for an hour. So some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are good drivers. Like, some of y'all, you need to practice. The bad thing is, there's only one way to practice driving. <laughs> and that's to go drive on the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go drive in a parking lot, that's not the same thing. And so, the most important thing that I want you to take away from this weekend. And I don't know that I would say... It's, it's the overall most important thing, but the most important application or practical thing that I personally am praying you take away from this weekend is that you learn to get in the car and drive for yourself in your Christian life. Now, Jesus, you know, Jesus really is the one taking the wheel. Jesus is the one driving. Jesus is like we are in Christ. But what I'm saying is you have got to make your faith your own. You've got to get in a position in your life where your faith, your pursuit of Jesus, your understanding of the Bible is growing, but it's not only growing based on what I'm telling you, what your student pastor's telling you, small group leaders telling you, maybe if you got Christian parents, what they're telling you. That's important, and it's important that when you sit in these sessions and when you're sitting in youth each week and you're sitting under the teaching of the Word, it's important that you're learning from the Word of God But let me tell you something, the thing that is going to solidify you, strengthen you, and help you become the man or the woman that God wants you to be is for you to become the person who the Lord is guiding and you're in that position of responding to Christ and walking with the Lord. It's kind of like when you go from sitting in the passenger seat to getting that learner's permit to then there's that day where you start driving for yourself. The longer you drive, the more efficient you get, the safer you get, the better you get. It's, it's a maturing process. And so <clears throat> here's what happens, I feel like, a lot of times is in, in the Christian faith, we tell students, we tell young people what the Bible says about sex or sexuality or what is right or wrong. And what I want you to do is not just take my word for it or not just take a student pastor's word for it. I want you to submit yourself to Christ 
Submit yourself to his word and learn to walk in obedience to the Lord every day of your life where the Lord is literally speaking to you. There's this cool moment in the Old Testament where Moses and Jesus are meeting together and nobody at that point had ever seen the Lord. Like he's only revealed himself in in these really unique ways. But it says that they would communicate and it would be like a friend communicates with a friend. Jesus has said that we are his friends. Like the scripture teaches us that. And I want you to learn how to not just follow the rules, but how to walk with Christ and let him guide you and you be guided by his spirit and by his word. And so that's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. So we jump back into our story with, uh, with our man, Lord Farquaad, um, uh, Zacchaeus. I don't know how tall he was. It don't say, it just says that he, he, was, uh, he was small in stature. Maybe he was like, Maybe he was like 6'4", but weighed like a buck 15. You know, it might have been one of them dudes. I don't know. Maybe he was like, but I think the, I think the meaning is the idea that he was a short guy. And because, you know, he couldn't see over the crowd. But I want to go back into our story, go to verse 6. And let's look at verses 6 through 8. And here's what I want to do in a few minutes this morning in this first session. I want to define some things for you. I want to define for you what conviction is, what repentance is, and what conscience is. And the last thing I want to define for you is what condemnation is. So just, we're going to get some definitions out of this story. Um, some of the words not in the story, but important that we understand the ideas and the concepts. Okay, so let's go back to verse 6. It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This is Zacchaeus responding to the Lord because in verse 5, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus immediately obeys, and the thing that I want you to understand when it comes to this idea of repentance, which I'm going to not just define for you, but explain to you. The first thing when it comes to understanding what repentance is, everybody's heard that word, repent or repentance. Repentance is when we respond to the voice of Jesus, recognizing that the voice of Jesus is an authoritative voice. Like when Christ speaks to us, he speaks with authority. So when he speaks to, like Jesus not walking by and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and he's like, hey, Zach, what's up, my man? Hey, Jesus, what's up? It's not like this dialogue where Jesus is like cool with Zacchaeus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus and calls him to come down. And he does so authoritatively. The first step in a person who lives a life of repentance is that moment where Jesus calls to you and you turn and you obey by going to Jesus, by following Jesus, by laying your sin at the feet of Jesus. But this is what happens when a person goes from death to life, or we call this biblical conversion, where a person becomes a Christian, they become a believer, they turn to Christ. What, what we're doing is we're turning from salvation that, that we don't have to salvation that Jesus provides. So repentance is not turning to, listen, not turning to spiritual activity. Well, I need to be a better Christian. I need to be a better person. So I need to go to church. I need to change and modify my behavior. Repentance is saying, I'm going to stop being the guy that's in, in control of my own life. I'm, I'm going to stop being the girl that's in control of my relationships. I don't want to be the person in charge of my sexuality or the way I define things or I don't want, I don't want, but I don't want the world defining those things. I'm going to turn to Christ and let him define those things. Well, that begins by giving Jesus every part of my life, not just 
the one part that maybe I'm struggling with or that it's it's surrender to Jesus begins with repentance. So Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree and he turns towards Jesus. And then we see not only does he turn towards Jesus, he not only replies in the moment returning, uh, uh, turning towards Jesus, but then he doesn't go back to what he was doing. Okay, So true repentance is like this. We turn to Jesus and then we just follow Jesus. We just follow him. Well, for how long? Forever. We never turn back. True repentance is turning to Jesus and following Jesus and not going back to it. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have had this thing where it's like you come to an event like this and you get gung-ho, you're fired up about Jesus. You're like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And you do that for like a week or two or a month or whatever, and then you kind of go back to doing the same old thing. Zacchaeus, when he repents, when he turns to Jesus, he gives Jesus his sin. He gives Jesus the ugly parts of his life. He gives Jesus anything that's good in his life. He gives all of himself to Jesus. He never goes back to being the guy in charge. He surrenders to Jesus. He submits to Jesus. True repentance is something you don't come back from. True repentance is something you don't come back from. Oftentimes you'll hear stories or maybe you've seen people that you cared about that walked with Jesus for a while and then they turned and walked away and it's like, I don't know what happened. What happened? Well, there wasn't true repentance if they turn away and never come back to Jesus. Now we'll make mistakes. You'll mess up. You'll, you'll goof up. We'll address that here in just a couple of minutes. But true repentance is something that will continue. Zacchaeus replies that his repentance is true repentance, which is to turn away from doing what we're doing and to return to the way Jesus wants us to do it. And the way that we see this is through what, what a lot of Bible teachers call the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. So what do we mean when we say the fruit of repentance? Well, it's like, it's like the evidence of repentance. So like what repentance produces in my life, because I've turned to Jesus, I'm now walking with Jesus, what are the evidences of that? Well, the first one is a change of desire. My desires change. What was Zacchaeus' big desire before he met Jesus? Money, wealth, power. And then what does he do when he turns to Jesus in repentance with his money and his wealth and his power? Remember that part of the story last night? He just starts giving stuff away. Like, wouldn't it be cool if he was your neighbor? It would be awesome if Zacchaeus had been mean to you. Because it says people that he wronged, he gave them back four times. So imagine he took 100 bucks from you. He'd be like, hey, I'm going to give you 400 bucks. Like, all right, I need more people to turn to Jesus. I'll get rich myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like crazy because when he turned to Christ in repentance, there was certain evidence of that fruit produced in his life. Listen, I want you to understand that a life lived in pursuit of Christ. When, you, when, when we confess Jesus as Lord and we begin to follow him, there's going to be evidence of that. Like there's fruit. The Bible teaches there's going to be fruit. Even in Galatians, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And you know one of the ways that that will be most evident is in our relationships, right? Like somebody loves Jesus, is walking with Jesus, will be kind, will be forgiving, will be selfless, will we'll care about other people, whether it's in a dating relationship or a friendship, 
They'll care about other people. They won't be selfish. That's the fruit of Zacchaeus' repentance here. We see him turn to Jesus in that way. The second fruit of repentance that we see that will be evident in our lives is obedience to the Lord and obedience to his word. A, a true child of God will not just take the Bible and, and, and like ignore it or change it or make it fit into your agenda or make it mean what you want it to be want it to mean the the true child of God who in repentance has turned to follow Jesus will surrender to his word will love his word will abide in his word and the word of God will abide in your heart and the word of God will become the most important day-to-day component or aspect of my development as a person the thing that makes us different as Christians there's a lot of things but one of the things that's a distinguishing factor for the believer is the way we view the word of God the way we view the Word of God. Listen, when you open the Word of God, the Word of God opens you. When you open the Word of God, the Word of God opens your mind. When you open the Word of God, the Word of God opens your heart and your soul and your life. When you open the Word of God, the Word of God defines who you are, defines who God is. When you come to the Scripture, you don't come to the Word of God to master the Scripture, but to be mastered by it. The Word of God has authority for our lives. Zacchaeus understood this because for him, the Word of God was the audible command of Scripture. For us, the Word of God is 66 books written in 1,500-year span of time on three continents in three languages by 40 authors, every word authoritative but with personality from God for us, to us, for life and godliness. And the scripture says in Isaiah that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands and remains forever. That day Zacchaeus knew, I'm going to submit to Christ. I'm going to submit to his word. So the fruit of repentance will be obedience to the word of God. And this is what will happen. The conscience that we all have, we all have a conscience, will now be controlled by the Lord, not by my flesh. So now my conscience will be controlled by the Lord. And what we call that, when the conscience is under control of the Holy Spirit, we call that conviction. Everybody say conviction. Last night, I used, I referenced that a little bit, and I knew that some of you would be like, I'm not sure what that means. It's one of those words that a lot of us, we've probably heard. Like, what does that mean? What does conviction mean? I want to talk about that for just a minute because the word is really only used once in Scripture, which, by the way, if something's only used once in Scripture, it's authoritative. doesn't have to be like, ah, it only says it one time. Okay, who said it that one time? God did, right? So when God speaks, there's authority. Okay, so, and And it's only that particular translation is only used in the King James Bible, which most of you probably don't use as your day-to-day reading Bible. It's an older, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful work of, of, of like a gift of God to the human, you know, like a gift of God's word to the English speaking um, people of the earth. Like, because when that was given in the 1600s or whatever, there was no English translation of the scripture. But it's kind of hard to understand because there's lots of like these and thou's and wherefore art thou and stuff like that. So most of us read a more modern translation. There's a passage in that translation where Jesus is talking to these guys that are trying to, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery and they're trying to 
throw stones at her and kill her. And Jesus confronts them. And these guys, when Jesus speaks to these guys, they leave and it says they have conviction. They're convicted and their consciences are in their souls. And so what is conviction? Well, let me kind of explain what it feels like, what it looks like. Have you ever had, just think, answer this in your own mind. Have you ever had something happen where you felt a heaviness to do something or to not do something or to not watch something or to say something like just a heaviness that moved you to action have you ever felt that that's conviction if you're a christian the lord will often impress himself by his spirit by his word into our conscience and will feel a heaviness just feel a heaviness so so one way that we might feel conviction go back to the story i told last night about charlie my buddy who was about to take his own life. And I was so overwhelmed with the conviction of the Holy Spirit to go to Charlie's house. That's conviction. When the Lord is prompting you to do something, and sometimes it'll be like, it'll seem like, it'll, to you it'll seem random, but it's not random to the Lord. Other times conviction might come. Have you ever said something ugly to somebody, treated somebody wrongly, done something you knew went against God's word or his will for your life, and afterwards you felt a heaviness have, have, think about this have you ever felt that like I, I know that what I did was wrong not because go back to the driving illustration not because someone's telling me how to do it but because between me and God there's a heaviness and I feel like man that's not okay that's conviction and what conviction does is it's like the Holy Spirit of God taking his finger and placing it on our conscience and applying pressure Remember last night we said that sometimes God speaks, but it's not that we hear it here, but it's an overwhelming sense of what he's saying to us. Conviction from God is like God takes his finger and applies pressure to your conscience. Does that, make, is that, does that illustrate that or like is that a, a way to explain that? And so when he does that, what he's expecting or, or calling us to do is to respond, to respond. I want to give you a definition of conviction based on what I just explained. Conviction is a convinced conscience. It's when your conscience is convinced of something that God is communicating to you through his spirit or through his word. The idea of conviction appears throughout the scripture. I want to give you a couple of verses. I'll give you four verses where it's uh, sort of described. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. And I'm going to read this, these two verses to you. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what he's saying there is we have this gift that's been given to us by God where um, God will speak to us in a way that we have what the scripture calls discernment. That's a wisdom that guides our actions. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Discernment is a wisdom that comes from God that guides our actions. So where this, is, where, where this plays out in our sexuality is when somebody's like, man, should I be in this relationship? Should I do this? I don't know if this is right or wrong. Why would I feel this way? Here's a, here's a lie that Satan wants you to... Here's, here's, Satan will often package lies in a manipulative way to confuse us. You guys know what manipulation is, right? Some of you girls are good at manipulating your daddy. I know because I got three daughters. Like, I know. 
Sometimes I feel like I should have the word sucker stamped right across my forehead. You know, I can't help it, you know. But we all know how to manipulate to some degree, right, like manipulation. So what we'll do is we'll manipulate our conscience to make it fit the narrative that we're writing for our own lives. So I'll say, well, man, if God didn't want me to feel this way, then he wouldn't let me feel this way. If God didn't want me to be happy, then I wouldn't have these desires. Man, that's a slippery slope. You know what I'm saying? It's a slippery slope. What I've got to do is I've got to say, what does, what does the Lord speak to me in this area? What does he say? Like, how do I respond to that? God is speaking to me. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, hey, the Lord will give you discernment. Press into Christ. Don't press out of Christ and try to figure things out on your own. Why do I have these desires? Talking to a young lady this week, she's like, man, I love the Lord. I know I'm a believer. I know I've given my life to Christ, but I have this strong desire to be in this homosexual relationship with this girl that we've developed this friendship. Why would I have those desires? Why would I have them? Listen, y'all, don't ever trust your desires to be the God in your life. You're always going to have desires that are unhealthy, unholy, destructive, and relational desires can be very tricky because you can desire things that God has not given you a desire for, but that's growing from within you, but it's so within you that it feels right. So always what we do, according to 2 Corinthians 2, when it comes to discernment is we press into Christ and let him guide us. Let him guide us. Um, a couple more, First uh, Thessalonians 5, or I'm sorry, Romans 14, Romans 14, verse 5, second part, it says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what he's saying there is the Spirit of God will convince us in our own minds if we'll just ask God, press into his word, submit to him, like believe his word, recognize the authority of God's word. First Thessalonians 5, 21, I got to move quickly, First Thessalonians 5, 21, Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. What is good? What does the scripture say is good? Nobody's good. Only that which comes from the Lord is good. So test everything and say, is this truly from the Lord? Listen, according to his word. Is this truly from the Lord according to his word? And then the last one is Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, but those who have, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me read that again. Solid food is for the mature. Now, he's, solid food, he's talking about the mature things of Scripture, growing in your maturity, becoming more solid in your faith. Those who have their powers of discernment, that's like, you talk about superpower. Like, what if you could have a superpower, right? What if you could have a superpower? Mine will be to fly, no doubt. That's what I, man, I have, I have, I, last night, last night I dreamed I could fly. I do it all the time. I dream, and the way, in my dream when I can fly, I, it's like I jump and I get up right here and I feel myself start to come down and I just push like if you're in the water. If for whatever reason, that's the way it connects in my dream. And I just keep elevating and it's awesome. If you could fly. What would your superpower be? He's saying, you can have, listen how the scripture words this. The word for power that the Bible uses is the word that we derive dynamite from. He's like, you can have this explosive power of discernment that guides you. If there's anything that I want to see young people do, it's learn how to make 
fully convicted, mature decisions without somebody having to hold your hand and walk you through every decision of life. The world's going to lie to you and tell you, you're just a kid. Screw around, mess up, do what you want to do. This is your time in life to just have fun and goof off. If you get serious about your faith and the power of discernment in your life drives with conviction, drives with conscience to help you make right decisions, you're going to be a person who lives a powerful life for God. That's what he's saying. The power of discernment. And what the Bible says about conscience is that when we live with discernment, we can live with a conscience that is in alignment with God's will and purpose for our lives. But then the Bible warns us because in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, my conscience is clear, but it is the Lord who will ultimately judge me. And then Paul writes to Titus and says, be careful because your conscience can become defiled. What's a defiled conscience? A defiled conscience is a conscience that gently steers you in the wrong direction until eventually you realize you've gone far from God. They tell us that if we aim at the moon and move by one degree, we'll miss the moon by so far that we would go straight out into outer space and be lost. A A conscience that is defiled will just get you off course. And then he says what happens next is your conscience becomes seared seared he writes to timothy it's the idea of being carterized and burned conviction and conscience go hand in hand and so when we talk of conviction what we're talking about is a convinced conscience and the last thought is this conviction and condemnation are not the same thing sometimes we struggle with shame and guilt that isn't from the lord it's not conviction It's shame and guilt over decisions that we've made. Some of you live with the guilt of your own decisions. You heap shame on yourselves. But the Bible tells us this great truth in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are a few great truths in life that take the human experience to a new place. There are heights of spiritual experience that the truth of Romans 8, 1 There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take me to that nothing else has ever matched. To realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. To rescue me from the bondage and the decay of sin. And to remove the blood guilt of my sin and transgression against God. And then to realize that this has happened in the saving work of Jesus on the cross. This is truly indescribable. I cannot, I will not be found guilty of my sin and transgression transgression against God because Jesus took my place he died so that I could live he took sin so that I might receive grace he gave me life and took away the sting of death for me judgment and condemnation may be reserved but thank the Lord that my sin is removed even though I've rebelled against God God is holy and just and good I can say with David that God might be justified in his words and blameless in his judgment and when he speaks he speaks rightly but the central reality for the believer in all of scripture is that i'm no longer condemned for my sin that's the good news of the gospel you mess up give it to jesus i can never be out from under that great truth and it waves over me with security and hope thanks for listening we hope this has encouraged you in your walk with christ be sure to give us a rating and review and for more snowbird content check out our other podcast no sanity required